For those of you who do not know who I am, I am Mike Benson. I'm the team captain of the Conquerors International Strength Team. It's a group of athletes who go around breaking stuff for a living, and we don't get in trouble for it. it used to be malicious destruction of property, now it's ministry. <laughs> Pretty cool job, huh? Um, something else that happened tonight was very special to me because uh, my good friend and coworker, Yago Williams, he saw him up here, he was a guy. The sharp guy, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, earlier this year, um, Pastor Dwayne and the church asked us, the conquerors, to oversee the prison ministry here at Resurrection Life, so we're now doing that. And Yago is actually heading up the prison ministry now, and he is hitting the ball hard, all right? He's right here, wave everybody, stand up and say hi again. Yago Williams, yeah. And many of you may know my story. Um, prison is a place that's dear to me. I love to go and visit, but I love leaving more than anything else. Because I spent 11 years of my life in prison. It started, I, I wrote a book, it's called Mike Benson, More Than a Conqueror, Conquering Your Past. And it tells the whole story of how, from a young age, the enemy tried to destroy my life. He had a plan for me, and he almost succeeded. At the age of 16, I committed my first major felony, which was an armed bank robbery or illegal withdrawal from a financial institution. <laughs> Want to put a white collar bend to it? <laughs> and I ended up doing 11 years of my life in prison. Some great things came out of it. I got born again there. I did mine on the installment plan. You know, I did five years, got out, took a break, then did it in six years. But it was the second time where I got born again. I met the lover of my soul, Jesus Christ. And uh, I also met my life partner, Stephanie Benson, right there. Wave, Stephanie. She loves it when I do this to her. And you would have thought that after being out of prison, my worst years were behind me. But that wasn't the case. Have you ever had one of those years that you wish never happened? You ever had one of those really bad years? Well, 2013 was that kind of year for me. If I had a choice to do 2013 over, I'd rather walk through a lion's den with pork chop underwear on. <laughs> it was a bad year. It started off, it was four years ago, I had a stroke of all things at the age of 40. And uh, I was in the hospital for five days. The doctors told me I have brain damage in two areas. One area was on my speech center. And the other area was on my prefrontal cortex. That's the area that regulates strength and decision making. The two areas that I use most in ministry, my mouth and my muscles. And they were actually amazed and baffled that I could even speak or utter sounds. But I told them, it's okay, you guys can't figure it out. But the great physician, he's got it under control. Amen? And, but what I wasn't prepared for was something called post-stroke depression. And my life went into a tailspin downward. I mean, I almost lost my everything. It was almost the enemy's shining moment to take me out. And I was, I was in the midst of the lowest time in my life. I remember crying out to God. I was on my face, snot balling, crying everywhere. And I was crying out to the Lord. You know, and I was sitting there and 
telling them how I should have done this and I should have done that and I should have done that. And while I'm in there shooting all over myself, <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all shoot all over yourselves too, okay? <laughs> Don't look at me like you ain't know what I'm talking about here. And I'm in there and I'm, woe is me and I'm down and everything and I'm crying out to God and I'm like, God, come on, you gotta help me. You gotta do something. I can't take this pain anymore. I hate feeling like this. Come on, Lord. And the Lord spoke to me. He reminded me of John 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he said to me, he said, son, what more do you want me to do? I've already destroyed sin in your life. I destroyed sickness. I shed my blood. I sent my son to take all of your punishment. I gave you my name. I gave you my word. I put my spirit in you and on you. I've given you all authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. What more do you want me to do? And it was at that moment that I realized that I had forgotten who I was. You see, there's two verses of scripture, two statements that Jesus said that are the most powerful statements, and they're also the shortest statement. The first one, the most powerful statement that Jesus ever spoke is a two-word statement, and it simply was, I am. When he was declaring, I am, he was declaring his oneness with the Father God. And all hell broke loose. The religious leaders of the day, they didn't like that very much. The second thing he said, which was powerful, which was, it is finished. And you see, when we are in our I am-ness, whatever follows that statement, we're defining who we are. And at that moment, I was defining myself in ways according to my behavior, my mistakes, my shortcomings my flaws, instead of identifying myself the way he saw me, what he said I was. And um, we live defeated lives as believers when we focus on the things that Jesus already defeated. Our shortcomings, our sin is defeated 2,000 years ago. Our sickness is healed in Jesus' name. He went and spent three days in the belly of the earth. He defeated hell and that devil himself. And three days later, he defeated death when he came walking out of that tomb. It is finished. It is finished. And uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verses four through six, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and we are ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is complete. The way we think rules our lives. Our results, where we're at currently in our life, you can trace back to the root of how we think. 
The Bible says, as a man thinketh or a woman thinketh, so is he. We are responsible for our results because we are the only ones responsible for our thinking. No one can make you think a certain way. Your thoughts are under your control. And so, sometimes as believers, we find ourselves in a line of thinking that assists the enemy. And we find ourselves crying out, where are you, God? God's like, I'm trying to get you to line up with me. I'm trying to get you to think like I think so I can move in your life. We have to stop giving the enemy help with our stinking thinking. Speculations. The scripture says the Holy Spirit is destroying speculations. Speculation is coming to a conclusion or surmising something with no evidence of it. And we usually speculate negatively. You know, you're up for a job promotion. First thought, oh, I'll never get it. They'll never choose me. I can't do it. Oh, they'll pick somebody else more qualified. Oh yeah, I can overcome this. I can do it. Oh, oh, oh no, no, two minutes later, you're speculating. You're coming up with 10 reasons why you can't and probably never will. Colossians 3, one through two, this is about putting on the new self. It says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not things that are here on the earth. A mindset is a pattern of thinking. It's the inward tapes that we all have running. And you see this, this, this Christian life, this, this walk with Christ is not about perfection, has nothing to do with perfection, but has everything to do with direction. Where we're looking to. Where our thoughts go, our energy flows. It's like this. The average person speaks about 120 to 150 words per minute. It's a little bit higher on the female side. Maybe a little bit lower on the male side, you know what I'm saying? Fellas, can I get an amen? Huh? Amen. amen. <laughs> we can listen to 500 to 600 words per minute. There's a lesson in that. Do a lot more listening than a whole lot, than a whole lot less jaw jacking. But our conversations with ourselves, within ourselves, is at about 1,500 to 1,600 words per minute. You know, the tapes that keep running and all the images, our imagination was given to us. It's a powerful tool. It's not just for dreams. We're being conformed into his image. And when you have negative tapes running on the inside of you, because we don't communicate words, we communicate picture with our words. When you have a picture of yourself being defeated, you have a picture of yourself not going anywhere, lacking all the time, in need, in want all the time. And, that's, and then somebody comes to you and says, man, you're the best. God died for you. He can, he, can, he, can, he can raise you out of this situation. And you're like, amen, amen. But inside, all the speculating starts. Boom. Oh, yeah, I know. That, that works for brother so-and-so. That works for sister so-and-so, but not for me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. 
God created us to be more than conquerors, to be the head, not the tail, to be above, not beneath. He's given us victory and he's given us life. He's given us abundance. You see, when our nature, when we're focused on things on the earth instead of things in heaven, we have a tendency to be negative. We have a tendency to be pessimistic because we have a horizontal view instead of a vertical view. You see, when we're horizontally focused, it's a negative, kind of like the negative symbol. But when we start getting vertical, it turns it into a positive. Amen? And uh, it's all about where our focus is because what you focus on, you magnify. You give it power. And when our thinking changes, when we start, stop thinking and we start thinking the right way, then what we see changes also. When you change the way you look at circumstances and situations, the circumstances and situations, they start to change. And when you change the way you think about yourself, you start changing. Amen? Trust me, my thinking when I came out of prison was, because if you read my book, you'll know, I, it's a miracle that I'm even here. I mean, I was a bad dude. <laughs> I should, they should have thrown away the key and buried me and put a plaque on it, name it after me, or the prison or something. I was a bad dude. And when I came out of prison, I hit the ground running. I knew I had a call of God on my life. I went right after it. I was addicted to winning souls. I had won 365 people one-on-one. -on -one. I'd target them every day. Oh, yep, yep you're next, you're next. <laughs> 365, I kept track. I hear it a lot. I'm an evangelist, you know. I keep, I keep track of how many people we win to Christ. And they're like, oh, God's not all about the numbers. I said, uh-uh. <laughs> he didn't, on the day of Pentecost, he didn't say, and there was some who gave. He said, there was 3,000. God's keeping track. He's keeping track. And the conquerors in this team over the past 10 years, we've had over 300,000 people make decisions for Jesus Christ. 300,000. We call that a good start. Huh. We're believing this year for 100,000 decisions for Jesus Christ. We're stepping it up. We're stretching our, our faith, our tent pegs. We're expanding them. But you know, I had, I had a thinking issue. You know, because I'd been to prison and, and there was nothing to complain about in life. And I'd be doing, I'd be traveling around. I, I'd do a lot of itinerant speaking. I'd, people would be coming up in altar calls and, and they'd be telling me I'm so depressed and I can't handle this and, and this is overwhelming. And, and to be honest with you, I'd never say anything like this to anybody, but I'd be thinking, suck it up. Come on, buttercup, put your big boy pants on. <laughs> Trust me, it could be a lot worse. At least you got your freedom. You live in America. There's no such thing as poverty in this nation. There's no such thing. You go out and look at two-thirds of the world, then you'll see poverty. Amen? 
So I had this attitude in my thinking. I was looking down at people who were sad and depressed until I got in the midst of it. <laughs> there ain't no fun when a rabbit's got the gun. I like that one. <laughs> but you know, there's one thing I've found out about stress. It's always an inside job. Because you can't, you, you, you know, I've said it plenty, that person stresses me out. Nobody has the ability to stress you out. It's the way you think about that person stresses you out. Or I can't stand my work, I'm so stressed out. It's your perspective on your work that stresses you out. Nobody can stress you out. The only real estate something or someone can have in your mind and your heart is the real estate you give it. But you know what the antidote to stress is? Joy. Joyfulness. Scripture says in Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, when you're looking at negative circumstances, you're focusing and you're concentrating on them. Yeah, it can be hard. But when you're focused on him who's seated at the right hand of the Father, when your focus is heavenward, there's always something to rejoice about. God doesn't have bad days. He doesn't get stressed out. He doesn't get worn out. He doesn't stub his toe and ooh, <coughs> something bad come out of his mouth. He doesn't do that. So if our focus is there, we're magnifying who we are in him. Because the father has a desire to have us conformed to who he is. He's never thinking ne negatively about you. God does not have one negative thought about you, not one. Because he placed us in Jesus Christ so he could think positively about us 24-7. So we could see ourselves according to our new nature. He's not dealing with our old nature. He dealt with it. He's dealing with our new nature. God is not dealing with your sin. He dealt with it. He nailed it to the cross and killed it. He's dealing with your righteousness. That's all that's concerned with God. I remember one time, a couple years ago, I was, I was going to God and I had messed up big time. And I ain't gonna tell you what it was. It's none of your business. You know, I'm about to go on and preach, and I'm, you know, I got, oh, the enemy, you know, he loves that. Oh, dude, some preacher you are, and all that, you know. And I'm going to God, and I'm like, man, you know, sorry, God, I did this. I'm confessing it, and kept going, and he said, what are you talking about? I said, what do you mean, what am I talking about? You see what I did? So what are you talking about? He said, quit, quit complaining to me and get on with business. You know, he, he tends to talk to me kind of direct like that, because... That's the way I receive things. Ask my wife. <laughs> she don't beat around the bush. God's not focused on our sin. Because in his eyes, it's gone. 
You know that when, before Jesus ever went to the cross, he prayed. You, you guys read the prayer that Jesus prayed? He's just about to go and finish the contract, do the deal, and he doesn't mention one thing about sin. Everything he's praying about is about relationship with the Father. That they may be one as we are one, Father God. That they may know you. He no mention of sin. I go to some churches and I tell them this, you know Jesus didn't go to the cross to die for our sin? That wasn't his purpose? And I let it hang there. See some pharisaical minds going, what are you talking about? It's true, Jesus did die for our sin, but that wasn't the purpose that he went to the cross. The purpose was to restore relationship with the Father. Sin was an obstacle, and he, he dealt with that. Nailed to a tree, it's done. And when we get our focus off of what we're doing and get our focus on what he did and who we are in him, then we can start to see the results from heaven manifested in our life. We gotta get off thinking about all the negative things we've done or, or, or all the good things you've done. It, it swings both ways. Some people get all right, just, oh, I'm doing this and I'm praying and, 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 I, and, and I haven't missed a devotion and this and doing, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and, and do, 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 it's all a bunch of do, do. Our righteousness is but filthy rags in the eyes of the Lord. It ain't about what we do, good or bad, it's about what he did and what he's doing in us and what he's doing through us. That's what it's about. Amen? Romans 6.11. It's in the English Standard Version. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is in the International Standard Version. In the same way, you too must continuously consider yourselves dead as far as sin is concerned, but living for God through the Messiah, Jesus. God is saying, if you are, if you are approaching life as if you're alive in me, sin has no possibilities. See, Sometimes, we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we approach each other and, and we're gonna speak the truth in love. Which usually means you're gonna tell them something really horrible about themselves and do it in a nice way. Now, brother, here comes Brother Blather. and tell them awful stuff about them. That's telling them what's true about them, but it's not the truth. See, it may be true you got an issue with your temper. That may be true. But the truth is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. It may be true that you got a habit that you haven't been able to break for years, but that's not the truth about you. The truth about you is Jesus Christ. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And if you get your mind off of what's true about you and get it on the truth, then you'll see freedom and victory. Amen? That's what I had to do. I had to get out of my, I get out of my woe is me. I had to get back up, put my big boy pants on, 
Get back on the horse and keep riding. Because Jesus did not create one loser. Not one. Amen? John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For the spirit of, that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. When we stop looking at what we're doing and look at who we are in Christ Jesus, then we'll stop looking at what everybody else is doing and start seeing them as they are in Jesus Christ also. Only the truth can set us free. What's true about us always condemns us. But there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. That ought to make you happy right there. Hallelujah. I could have used some of that in my court hearings. <laughs> I remember this one time. <laughs> Boy, the first time my soul took a blow. You know how when, when, some, when, when, when it seems like you know, something is so hard, it seems like it wounds your soul? And I, I, I mean, I was, I was just fresh born again. I was born again in the Boone County Jail. And uh, it's a long story, but I was there because I had robbed a gas station right across the street from said jail. <laughs> Two blocks down from the state police headquarters and the owner of said gas station, the former sheriff himself. <laughs> yeah, buddy. I wasn't the brightest bulb in the box, let me tell you that. It actually helped in our getaway because when dispatch got the call, they're like, come on, Tom, quit screwing around. Who's stupid enough to rob that place? Right here, baby, dumb and dumber. We did it. We got in a run, got out, got rearrested, got back into, into jail. They gave me a, they, they saw they chased me through fields and everything. We got away, stole a vehicle and left. And uh, I remember when I came in, they said, oh, you're the guy we were chasing through the woods all that rainy night, huh? We got a cell for you. They gave me a cell with a picture-perfect view of the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> so God came, and he, it was the lowest point of my life. It was the first time I ever considered taking my own life, and, and uh, I, I surrendered to Jesus Christ, and, and man, I was on fire. Two weeks later, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, and it was on. I mean, everybody that came into that cell block, they were a target in my eyes. Let me tell you about Jesus. I said about my father's business. And we had a good thing going. We had this block. It was all full of believers. I had won everyone to Christ in the whole cell block. And the jailers started seeing it, you know, and it kind of became a Joseph thing. And, and they'd actually come to the door and they'd say, hey, is it okay if we bring this guy? He just came in on drunk driving. Can, he, can we bring him in there? They're asking me if, if they can bring the guy into the, into the cell block. Yeah, sure, bring him in, man. We'll get him sobered up. <laughs> he might get drunk on the Holy Spirit, but he'll be sobered up. So, I'm in there, you know, and I'm, I'm going good. And I got my routine. You know, guys in jail, they usually sleep all day and they're up all night. Not me, man. I was up in the morning. We had TV and uh, we had TBN and things like that. And man, I was on it. I was going to get some word, some, some good preaching. 
Had my Bibles up there, all, all stacked up my notebook. I was excited. That was my thing every day. And then we had this guy. His name was Brett Blackstone. I'll never forget him. He wasn't having none of this Jesus stuff. He, he had this long, scraggly hair. He was a biker. His greatest ambition was to be a cult figure like Charles Manson. He even had the tattoo and everything. I mean, this dude was, he was, he was not very good. <laughs> of course, I was witnessing to him, showing him the love of Jesus, you know, telling him how God loves him so much. And so I'm in there and I'm, I'm, I'm watching TV and all of a sudden, his cell door comes swinging open. He comes out there, blankety blank, you better turn that blankety blank stuff down. And I looked over at him and my flesh, oh man. <laughs> I was like, and I heard the Lord, turn it down, son. So I went up there and turned it down. Yeah, that's right. He's blaspheming stuff. You know, I mean, he's really pushing buttons. So I sit back down, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, okay, I'm getting my composure. And the Lord says, I, I mean, I turned it down. I could hardly hear it. The Lord says, turn it down some more. And I'm like, yeah, but he needs to hear this stuff, God. God's like, no, turn it down. So I turn it down. I'm sitting there straining, and then the door comes flying open again. And he comes out. I thought I told you, but I'm going to come over there and turn it, turn it down or turn it off or whatever. So I went up there, cranked it up as loud as it could go, and I said, come on then. And it was on. It was two hits. Me hitting him, him hitting the floor. I said something really stupid too, like, don't ever mess with the son of God again. I, la I laugh now, but at the time I broke his nose, you know, and, and they're over there on the intercom, lockdown, lockdown, everybody lockdown. So everybody gets in their cell. My, my adrenaline's going. I'm all amped up, you know. And uh, they come by my cell. They say, you all right, Benson? I say, yeah, I'm great. I'm fine. And they said, uh, we heard everything. We saw everything. You're not going to get in any trouble. We're moving him out of here. And I'm like, cool. And then it starts sinking in. Man, I ruined my witness. And some believer I am, way to make an impact for the Lord. <laughs> I should have slowed it down because the Bible says lay hands on no man suddenly. <laughs> but I went, I went down, I was, in a, I was in a deep pit, man, for about two weeks. Wasn't witnessing to anybody. I mean, it really got to me. Because here I was, focused on my performance because I was so young in the Lord, I thought I had to do everything right. But you know what? I, I've, I've known a lot of things about God. He's got a lot of names, but the name I love about him the most is the Redeemer. He'll redeem any situation. Whether you're the cause of it, somebody else is the cause of it, if it's negative, if you screwed it up, it doesn't matter. He will redeem it. It was two weeks later, the jailer comes to the door and he says, Mike, Brett Blackstone would like to see you. Uh, I said, Brett Blackstone, he wants to see me? He's like, yeah, he had a death in the family and he, he really wants to talk to you. And I'm like, all right, so I better go grab a bag of chips for peace offering. <laughs> so I grab a bag of chips, I go to the cell. They only let me talk through the trace lot because they didn't know if he was trying to you know, set me up or something. But I guess he legitimately, somebody died. And I'm looking at him and I say, hey, Brett, and eyes are all black. And, and he says, uh, 
He says, you know, I'm sorry. And I said, hey, it's no problem. He says, you know, I've been watching you the whole time and you know, my mom just died and I don't know what to do, but I know I gotta have what you have. And I hand him the bag of chips. And I said, <laughs> I said, I said, brother, you need the Lord Jesus. You know he loves you. And I had his hands in my hands in that tray slot, and I led him to Jesus Christ right there. I was like, yeah, boom. Take that, devil. Thank you, sir. See, then I was, I was on the mountaintop then. But see, when this world, this world is not obviously knocking down these church doors. When this world sees a joy in us that no circumstance, no situation can dull that joy, that's when they're going to be like, where are you going? What church do you go to? It's easy to be joyful when things are going great. But what about when things ain't going so great? Amen? And, and you know, I've been praying over this church for, a, for, for quite a while. And I really feel like the Lord has given me a release to speak this to you all tonight. Because the first service I was sitting over here and I remember when I walked through those doors, I was a gutter guy, didn't know anybody, didn't know anything. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this is your home and one day you'll speak here. And I felt like this church has come full circle coming in here with what the leadership is wanting to do here. And, 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 and I feel confident enough to say this is a thus saith the Lord, that worldwide revival starts with this church in Granville, Michigan. It's gonna start right here. I'm gonna prophesy that, I'm gonna speak that. It's in my prayer language. I'm thanking them all the time for revival. Because it's when we, the church, we don't just come in here and do church, but we get out there and be the church. Start being the church. Have church service everywhere you go. I pray with people, man. I, I, I pray in the Holy Ghost. If he shows up in the grocery store, I'm on it. Like, you gotta clean up in aisle six. <laughs> people on the ground crying, and I don't care. Wherever, amen? But we gotta quit listening to the dead. What I mean by that is our old dead nature. It has a voice. When our old nature starts speaking, we need to tell it to shut up. I guess it's a safe guess that nobody here goes to cemeteries to listen to what the dead people have to say. Right? Am I, am I correct in that? Then we need to stop listening to our old dead self. Paul said in Romans 7:24, "Who will deliver me from this body of death?" Talking about his old nature. Well, he had a very vivid graphic picture that he got that from because back then the Romans did some stuff, they did it pretty cruel. As we all know about crucifixion was one of the torturous most horrid ways of dying, but what they also did is if you murdered somebody, the punishment was they'd take the victim that you murdered, they'd strap him to your back and make you carry him around for months until you died. Could you imagine that? I know that's kind of grotesque, ain't it? 
But that's what Paul was stating that our old nature is like. The smell, the putridness, and the rot from that corpse would literally get into your skin and it would kill you. That's the way we need to picture our old self. We need to cut it away. Done. You're done defining me because it is finished. When your past starts yelling at you, you need to tell it to shut up because it is finished. When people who are so-called friends and advisors and people around you are speaking everything contrary, you need to tell them, speak to the hand, it is finished. Don't ever go to anybody and ask them what they think about an idea or a vision God had given you unless you know that they do, that they do think. But do you know, there comes a time where we gotta make a decision in our life. And the Lord, you know, I was walking around the track at Grand Valley yesterday working out and that's where I get my quiet time. Put some headphones on, I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. And uh, the Lord was showing me how this service was supposed to go tonight. And it's gonna start with a decision. Because not a decision like, you know, like we're so used to in our culture, we decide one minute to do one thing and then we switch the other way. But here's the best illustration of a decision that I can think of. Alexander was a great warrior and him and his men came to shore to invade the Persian Empire. And when they got to shore, they realized that they were vastly outnumbered. The Persian troops, they had the high ground in the mountains. And I could imagine what the Persian troops were thinking as they see this Alexander and his great army coming onto their shores. I bet they were emboldened. They were like, ha, ah, they, they didn't bring enough guys. We got the high ground. Yeah, this is gonna be good. Alexander saw the situation and his first order was he told his men to burn the ships. You can imagine the shock on the men's face as they start burning the ships. I could imagine what the Persians were thinking then. They're probably looking down there, what are they doing? Oh man, they're burning the ships. These boys mean business. There's no plan B, there's no escape route, there's no nothing. Alexander told his troops, he said, today we go home in Persian ships or we die. No other alternative, no choice. We're either gonna win or we're gonna die. And what that must have done to those men, those men knew that their life was on the line. They fought with a ferocity. You see, when we make a decision that we're gonna go all in with Jesus Christ, it strikes fear into the heart of an enemy. Not I'm gonna try this Jesus stuff, I'm gonna go to church on Sunday, I'm gonna try to get, get there as much as I can. No, when you make a decision, when you're all in, there's no other way, I'm going with Jesus, I, he's got a destiny for me and I'm not gonna quit until I get all of it. That's what it takes. So I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me, please. And I wanna ask you to search your heart right now. 
And I want to ask you if you're ready to burn your ships. The first people I want to speak to are those who don't know Jesus, do not have a personal relationship with him, have never committed their heart, soul, their whole body, their whole life to him. The Lord is calling on you tonight. Are you ready to burn your ships? Are you finished with being broke, busted, and disgusted? Because if you are, tonight is your night. Tonight is your night. With a simple prayer, God will come into your heart, flood your soul. You'll experience life, and your life will never be the same. So if that's you, on the count of three, no one looking around, you want to give your heart and soul to Christ, I want you to simply raise your hand and raise it high. One, two, three. Slip up your hands. See those hands back there? Slip them up. Hands in the back. Awesome. Okay, if you're here and you've been playing games with the Lord, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You had one foot in, you're kind of in church and you're kind of in the world, you're going back and forth and you're ready to burn your ships. You're ready, ready to quit playing games with God and you're serious. I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. Raise it high. See those hands. See those hands. Awesome. Awesome. Would everybody pray with those who raise their hand? Repeat this prayer after me. Meet it in your heart and say it with your mouth. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, this night I give you my heart. All that I am, all that I have, I freely give to you because I believe that you died so I could live. And I receive the gift of life. I receive salvation as I receive you, Jesus. From this night forward, I'm not gonna live for myself. I'm gonna live for you, Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, amen. Give the Lord a big round of applause.